Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. I've been running for a few years now and have the privilege of meeting many incredible runners on my travels all across the country. This podcast is intended to share those amazing conversations. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This week's guest is Reed Fisher. Reed runs for Tin Man Elite based in Boulder, Colorado. In this week's episode, we talked a lot about Tin Man and how they approach training, social media, and connecting with fans. We dove into how it was formed and the sponsorship setup. Reed also answered some lighter questions like who each athlete would be as a Marvel character. Getting back to Reed, we talked about the progression of Miles and how he takes a long-term oriented approach versus chasing shorter-term goals. We covered a lot of fan-submitted questions on this one, and it's clear that Tin Man has a very active and engaged audience. A lot of Reed's answers were very practical tips and suggestions that all runners should listen to. I hope you enjoy. Welcome back. I am here in uh, beautiful Boulder, Colorado. We're sitting outside on uh, on a beautiful blue sky day. We're here with uh, with Reed Fisher. Um, Reed, thanks for uh, thanks for joining today. Yeah, thanks for having me, John. Appreciate it. Of course. Um, so, do you want to give a little intro on on yourself and uh, what brought you out to Boulder? Sure. Um, so originally from uh, Hopkins, Minnesota is where I went to high school and then went to Drake University down in Des Moines, Iowa. And then upon graduating, kind of did a, a tour of the U.S. trying to decide where I wanted to end up. And I trained out in Boulder for a summer and, and kind of got put in touch with Drew Hunter and some of the other guys that are now formally known as, as Tin Man um, and kind of decided that this is where I was going to be happiest. So moved out here in the fall of 2017. And if been loving it ever since. Cool. So let's talk about Tin Man. Um, you guys seem to have some some raving fans. You're doing amazing things, uh, both on social and and the roads and and all that good stuff. Um, as I was saying before we we started recording here, I've never had so many people reply with questions. Um, and so it seems like you've got uh, quite the quite the engaged audience here. Yeah, it's been cool. Um, I think that was something that we a little bit expected, but have also been taken aback by. I mm-hmm. think we knew when we started to try and push out some of our story and, and see if people would respond to it, we were expecting a pretty healthy response just because we kind of fill a void in the sport. We're young and we're exciting and we're doing things our own way. Um, and I think a lot of what we see in elite American distance running right now tends to be very, you know, curated look and you only see the good days. There's not a lot of room for, for fun loving yeah. running guys. Um, and so fortunately people have really responded to what we've been doing and it's been an absolute blessing to watch it take off the way it has. And it's been, you know, one heck of a ride that we're, we're continuing to ride out and, you know, we've got some big dreams going forward and things we want to make happen for ourselves as athletes, ourselves as a team and and for the sport of running as a whole. So it's exciting. Cool. Were any of you marketing majors? Where did, where did it come from? Yeah. Um, so Sam has been, Sam Parsons has been really the driving force. Um, he was 
came from a marketing background, spent a summer interning at Adidas in sports marketing for their, I think it was tennis yep. uh, department, and then has been able to kind of apply his background. And he's also just a very driven person, so that helps a lot. Um, and then I work in kind of a supporting role. I come from a more public relations and, and English background. Those were my majors at Drake. Um, so I'm able to kind of take Sam's business-focused, more overarching macro-level stuff and really hone in and, and find the stories and the threads that we can pull out of that and, and tell in a good way. Um, so we work really well as a team. And then we're fortunate that Connor Winter, who's joined us last summer, um, comes from a very entrepreneurial business background. He has his own endeavor right now called Shoe Sense that he's pursuing. Um, so he's very familiar with the ins and outs of, of starting a company. So he's been able to help with some of the financial and logistical aspects of things. So you know, we're very much a startup. We like to we like to joke that you know when we're hand packing orders and and writing handwritten notes to the people who've who've purchased some of our apparel and things like that. That it's it truly is. It's like you're getting Drew Hunter's right stuffing your envelope yep. and shipping it out to you. Uh, Sweat and tears, exactly. Maybe no blood, so, but yeah, no blood yet. <laughs> but yeah, it's been fun. I think we're all you know kind of think taking things a day at a time and and looking forward as much as we can. Um, and and using our skill sets that we each have individually, like everything, every person on this team brings something to the table that we're able to use for the greater good. So it's been a lot of fun to kind of work together as a team, both in running and on more of the quote unquote business side of things. Cool. How did uh, Tim Man form? Was it you know you guys saw an, emo uh, an emoji you know on the on the yeah. iPhone saw the cool <laughs> uh, the cool logo and said let's let's do this? Yeah. Um, where, where did it come from? So. The team itself was founded in the fall of 2017. It was initially just um, so Morgan Pearson, who's now a triathlete and, and lives with me and, and does most of our running training with us still. He was coached by Coach Tom Schwartz uh, upon graduating from CU Boulder. Um, and then Drew has been coached by Coach Tom since he was in high school. And then when I was looking at, at coaches, Tom really stuck out to me. Um, so the three of us were kind of a impromptu training group in boulder and then sam arrived shortly thereafter and we ended up winning club cross country championships and and thinking okay well let's try and make something legit out of this so you know sam and i built the website we started the instagram page and we reached out to bobby Peavy, who's a local trail runner and georgetown graduate um and he designed our logo for us and you know we kind of wanted to have something to kind of rally around and have something that was concrete and represented who we wanted to be as a team um and then we started scrolling through our iPhones and we're like, okay, like let's figure out a way that we can kind of brand this and yep. make an icon and a few phrases synonymous with who we want to be as a team and as runners. Um, and that emoji is the one that looks the closest to our logo. So just going off that, it was like, all right, we'll start using it. And now it's kind of synonymous with, with our group. And we see people tagging us in photos that are just like, yeah, throwing up the hand sign that yep. we do and using that emoji and saying, keep the ball rolling and, yep. and all these things that we've kind of set aside and, and carved out for ourselves as a team that kind of help us stand out in our training philosophy and, and the way we promote ourselves. So it's been cool to see people respond to both the logo and the team and everything in between. Awesome. How's the sponsorship working at, at the team level and the individual level? Mm -hmm. um, that's a really good question. So we have a pretty unique setup since we're, we're so new and a lot of us don't have representation. So Drew and Sam and Jordan are now represented by Flynn Sports, which is Ray Flynn's agency. Um, Drew obviously is with Adidas. Sam has an individual contract with Adidas as well. 
Um, Jordan actually just signed with Ray last week, I believe. So he's obviously looking to get something in the works for an individual deal. Um, I'm represented by Josh Cox. And since Houston half marathon was when I signed on with him and we've been working to get myself an individual deal. Um, Adidas, since we're so new, is in kind of this weird area where obviously there's budgets at stake and, right. and they can't just carve out, you know, right, throw a bunch of money, six figure deal out of nowhere um, and be like, all right, here's your team funding. Go make it work. Um, How do you think that the the deal with um, the Northern Arizona team with Hoka mm-hmm. has, do you think that that helps put you in a place where you can say, look, there's another team that's making half million dollars from yep. from sponsorship and it's working and they keep renewing the deal. Do you think that's that's helpful for, for you guys as well? Yeah, definitely. And I think if you look at the way elite distance running in the US is going, a lot of it is in groups now. Like there's a handful of guys who right. are able to make things work on their own because they have individual deals. But I think if you look at the vast majority of athletes coming out of the NCAA and the guys who are running well, it's it's men and women who are in a team set up and yep. have support from teammates, from coaches and in a real environment where they can find success in their own right. Um, so that definitely bodes well for us. I mean, we're optimistic that Adidas will, will come up big for us and, and see the value and who we are as a brand and, and what we bring to Adidas's brand. Um, it's funny when, you know, I'm wearing an Adidas Tin Man shirt right now and truly like we printed on Adidas stuff right. because Drew has to wear Adidas right. stuff. You know, it's either unbranded or Adidas. So I was right. like, okay, well, what's printed on Adidas stuff? Right. Um, so obviously there's this association that we have with Adidas and, you know, we're fortunate that we, a lot of the guys on the team are getting some financial support from them in one way or another. Um, and that's something that's been huge because like I said, you know, numbers are hard to just move around right. willy nilly. So to have them already be supporting the team in, in any ways is, is big for us. Um, individually, myself, I kind of opted out of the team support that Adidas was giving us uh, right after Houston half. That was a huge day for me. And I kind of evaluated my options and was like, okay, I think I'm at a point where I probably am deserving, quote unquote, um, of an individual deal. And, and, you know, whether that's Adidas or another company, Josh is pursuing all options, and so hopefully something will will land here soon, and I'll be wearing a brand, whether it's three stripes or a swoosh or whatever the case may be. Cool. So, congrats on a good race uh, at Boulder Boulder. That must have been a, a fun one, huh? Yeah, no, that race was incredible. I've never really experienced anything like that. So yeah, that's cool. Have you had you spectated it before? Yep. So I spectated last year. Um, and there's something obviously very different about yeah. spectating versus racing. You know, when you're spectating, you're seeing, you know, I think I saw the elites maybe three times out on the course and each time you're part of the masses yelling at them. Right. Just, you know, you feel like, oh, like I'm cheering for like Scott Fobble or right. whoever was in that elite field last year and you're yelling your head off for him and you don't really realize what a difference that makes when you're on right. the receiving end of it. Um, so for me to go out and, and be racing on roads that, you know, I, I run, I bike, I drive on every day, um, and have some of the people I care about most out there on the streets alongside with, you know, thousands of people who've never met me right. before, but are just immediately latched the on USA me. on you. USA kit. Yeah, exactly. So it's cool. So, um, I talked with Caitlin Goodman afterwards and she was like, that felt like the Olympics. Mm-hmm. What, what was it like coming into that stadium? Yeah. Um, so I mean, obviously, like I said, last year I spectated and you can get some of the gravity of how big of an event this is, but I wasn't in the stadium for the finish and you know, I've heard all about it, but 
Jared Ward um, in the press conference the night before the race. Somebody asked him, like, when you're an Olympian, you can basically run whatever race you want, right? right. So why Boulder Boulder for him? And he said, coming into Folsom Field is louder by far yeah. than the finish of the Olympics marathon. And he was like, obviously, there's the pride of running the Olympics, but the sheer everyone's there for a reason of of boulder boulders finish is is something unparalleled in our sport so yeah like i came into Folsom field and i'm you know wearing the usa across my chest and i kind of looked around and was like all right like there are way too many people in here for me to just put my head down and cross the finish line and I'm go in the shoot. Like a... So I like woke up into the crowd and I throw my arms up and the stadium it's just erupts. Erupted, yeah. um, and that was so cool. And it was it's pretty hilarious. You can go back and, and watch like the live broadcast. And I'm not on screen when I like pump up the crowd, but you can just hear the yeah. crowd noise. Like It double. was really cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was something that like was very powerful for me. Um and again, to be wearing USA across my chest in any scenario is always something I don't take lightly and I wear it with a lot of pride, but especially, you know, on Memorial Day at an event as large and as right. prestigious as Boulder Boulder was a really cool moment for sure. Cool. So, uh, that was a good race. Um, how do you come back from a race that, that isn't as good? Yeah. Good question. Um, I would say I'm a very consistent racer. Um, but as with anybody in the sport, obviously you have great days, you have good days, you have okay days and you have bad days. Um, so I'd say I've had for sure a couple of bad days. Um, I ran pretty poorly at club cross country championships, uh, this past December and then had a rough go at a track 10 K after Houston half, um, at the Pacific pursuit. Um, so for me, it's, it's really reinvesting in the reasons why i am a runner mm-hmm. um you know at the end of the day it's fun to chase fast times and maybe make a little bit of prize money here and there but you know that's not why anybody starts this sport so it's you know focusing in on my teammates and their successes and the things that we're doing together whether it's training or working out or racing um just really reinvesting and leaning into them and, and the things that are making them excited and then just trying to keep it like as simple as possible like getting out the door and trying to you know, put that performance out of your mind and just enjoy the act of running and, and just taking a moment to appreciate, you know, the fact that our bodies can allow us to do this day in and day out at a high level is really important to me. Um, and I don't know, I think running's always been a little bit therapeutic for me. So, you know, after a bad race, maybe the first 10 or 15 minutes of my run, I let myself dwell on that bad performance. And then I think as runners were inherently forward-looking people so it's something that on my mind just gravitates towards well what's next and and how can i improve and what can i do better and go from there cool so peter bromka who is a uh, past guest on the podcast Mm -hmm. and uh and was the fastest uh until two days prior was the fastest uh male or fastest runner in the in the boston marathon uh non-elite field he ended Mm -hmm. up moving up he wants to know, uh, what's it like to be in contention for national championships at, at races? Yeah, uh, good question, Peter. Thanks for, for asking. I read his article um, on, I think it was Tempo after yep. Boston, and it was a great read. He's so, an amazing writer, yeah. yeah. he's very talented. Um, but yeah, for me, it's something that is in, it's very, I won't say unexpected, because you know I'm a talented runner, and I work very hard at it. Um, but, you know, when I came out of high school, I was a walk-on at Drake. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
initially in college, my goals were to make the scoring team for yeah. cross country at a mid-major Division One program, <laughs> and and now here I am, five six years later, and and I'm very much in a conversation to be you know podium or, or better at a U.S. championship. Um, and it's special, you know. That's something I I don't take for granted, and it's something that I try and keep perspective on. And you know, when I show up at at those big races and I'm going up against names that have been top dogs in high school and NCAA for years and years. And I'm kind of this relatively new face. It's invigorating. Like I know that there's a real opportunity for me to go out there and, and knock off a lot of these guys. And that's something that as a competitor, I really lean into. There's an expression that I use a lot. that's yep. like the silent knife kills. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you see a lot of kind of old names in the sport that people always go in and expect to see them do well. Um, and to be, on the opposite end of that spectrum and have nobody expect anything out of you, you can just go in and it's like, if you have a great day, surprise off yeah. your back and it's, it's a great story and it's, it's something that is really exciting for you. Um, and it's slowly moving that needle so that, you know, ultimately I hope I become one of those names that people are like, Oh yeah, read that guy's been crushing since he was 22. Um, and then again, keeping that perspective and being like, yep, like I have been here for a while, but I'm still going to give my best on race day, no matter what. So it's exciting. And, it's something I'm still definitely getting used to a little bit, but I also, it's becoming normal, which is exciting. Cool. Um, what tips do you have for, for high school cross country athletes in the off season or, or really any athlete in, in the off season? Yeah. Um, again, I kind of just touched on it, but like that getting back to kind of your roots of the sport for me, the summers were always a really good opportunity to really share in camaraderie with the people I was able to train with. Um, so I spent two summers, I guess three summers back home at, in Minneapolis training with my old high school team. Um, Joe Klecker, who now runs at CU is one of my high school teammates and, you know, we kind of grew alongside each other as runners. So I was fortunate that, you know, when I, I got quote unquote good at Drake and was you know doing workouts that were more like six to eight mile tempos, averaging five fifteen pace or whatever, Joe was able to do that with me. Um, and then I spent one summer out here training with the CU team. So it's, it's finding what excites you about the sport, um, whether that's, you know, crushing mileage or just getting out the door and, and moving your legs around and, and having some good conversations with your teammates. Um, I would say one of the biggest things is, is patience. I think a lot of times, especially going into college or maybe coming off of a poor season in high school or in college or at any level of the sport, there's this innate reaction we have to be like, all right, well, I just need to work harder and double down on these things. Um, but I think oftentimes, especially in, in college and high school, when you're racing damn near every weekend, it's the opposite. You know, it's, it's not that you didn't work hard enough. It's that you probably work too, too hard, hard and yeah. you're overraced and you're overtrained and you're fried. So I think it's important to take a step back and be like, all right, well, I'm just going to enjoy running for what it is and slowly build my way back into things because October, November, whatever that meet or race that you're peaking for, that's the real goal, not destroying this month of training right. in, in, in July. July. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so yeah, that'd be a good tip and just, yeah, enjoy it. Cool. Soak it up. Uh, let's talk about the progression of miles from high school to college to, to post collegiate. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people are, are stuck on or not stuck on, but fascinated with running as many miles as they as they can, mm-hmm. which goes beyond what they actually can. So running more miles than they should just because everybody else seems to be doing it. So let's talk about the progression of a high school athlete to being a college athlete to, to post-grad. Um, what did that look like for you? Yeah. Um, 
I was fortunate to have a coach in college, Dan Hostegger at Drake, that was very holistic in his approach. He wasn't a get rich quick kind of guy. He knew that I could be a great athlete over four years, but he didn't want to compromise that by pushing too hard in my first year. Um, So in high school, I was probably, I think the most miles I ran in high school was probably 45 to 50. And that was like a big week. And then my freshman year at Drake probably got up to 60 to 65. And that was as, you know, like a freshman 10K guy. Um, And then progressed that pretty linearly until my junior year. I got up to 95 during like my heaviest training weeks. Um, And then it was, again, as a pretty pure 10K runner in the NCAA. And then since I moved out here... um, Altitude's definitely worth some mileage, right. um, so it really hasn't gone up too much. I think the most I've done in a week has been 105, and that was probably this winter or last spring. I think I hit 105 a couple of times, um, but it, even still, like a, probably an average week for me is 85 to 90, which for a half marathon 10K guy isn't you know a lot, and I think especially at the longer distance and higher levels of the sport, there's this obsession with that triple digit number where it's like as many weeks as you can get over a hundred, that's what's going to make a difference. Um, And I just don't think there's a whole lot of truth to that. I think a number is a number and it's how you feel doing it. Like I would rather feel much better running 90 to 95 miles a week than killing myself to run a hundred and 105. Yeah. My coach always says the body doesn't know miles. The body knows stress. Yep. Um, and there's a lot of truth in that. And I think, you know, there are some weeks where I run 90 miles and it feels great just because it's an easy week for me and I don't have a lot of outside stressors or my workouts aren't quite as tough. And then there's other weeks where it feels like I am working to get 90, 85 to 90 miles in. And you look back and you're like, oh, well, I had, you know, a lot of outside things going on or I crushed my Friday workout and Saturday, I just felt very lethargic and was running 740 pace. So I ran a mile shorter than I may right. have on another Saturday. And it's, it's, it's truly listening to your body and, and knowing what's right for you. Cool. What's it like living in Boulder as, as a pro? We were joking that, um, or not joking that, you know, when I went out for a run down, uh, near the, near the reservoir, I, you know, passed or got passed by half dozen pros doing their, doing their thing on, you know, on a Friday morning, what's, what's it like being a part of that culture on a, on a regular basis where, um, everybody is, is excellent around you? Yeah. And I think that's something that makes Boulder really special. And it's kind of why I think a lot of people get captured by this place and mm-hmm. end up either moving to it initially or returning to it after a couple of years elsewhere. Um, and for me, I was, like I mentioned, I, I trained with the Colorado team for the summer that I was out here. So I was fortunate that pretty immediately I was spending time around, you know, some of the best in Boulder between the runners at CU and then, you know, Emma Comer and Jenny Simpson, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think the important thing is that we're all runners. And I think every single runner, whether you're a 24 minute 5k runner or even slower or a 13 minute 5k runner or even faster, it's, there's something universal about this sport and and the reason why people pursue it. So that's, what's been really special for me is sharing in that pursuit with a lot of the elites that call Boulder home. Um, so, you know, yesterday we had a, a panel and a easy run from in motion running, which is a store owned by Mark Platches, who is an mm-hmm. Olympic marathoner, who is kind of one of the 
stalwart boulder guys alongside you know frank shorter and and these other guys that kind of were the first guard of the boulder running scene um and now it feels like there's this new exciting energy coming up with you know all these groups that are kind of sprouting up in boulder there's ourselves there's the nomad distance project which is kind of our female counterpart there are a lot of young longer distance women who work full-time jobs and kind of make training work um and then you know the the kind of still i guess more household names of boulder like the roots running project and boulder track club that have had a little bit more history here and are still competing at high levels so it's cool to see kind of this intermingling of the people who've been here forever and the people who are just sprouting up and and how all of those groups are now getting along and the chemistry seems to be really good so it's it's great that even in a place like this and in a sport that's this competitive and sometimes toxic that groups are able to commingle and, and people by and large get along and yeah. it's it's a whole lot of fun to be it's a part cool of. to see and it's it's cool um that that non-elites get to be a part of it as well i felt the same thing in flagstaff when i was out there in february that um everyone's just in it together and mm-hmm. everyone is in it to help each other get better it doesn't matter if like you said if you're a 13 minute 5k if you're twice that if you're three times that you know i think that's the the cool thing about running versus you know you don't hear a lot of pro baseball players talking on podcasts <laughs> that you know it just it just doesn't happen um i think that the people that that listen to podcasts the people that follow you on instagram the people that um, you know, tweet with you, things like that. Um, it's aspirational and they're looking to, they're looking to learn and get better. Um, and they're not going to run as fast, but the lessons learned as, um, you know, by seeing the ups and downs that, that elites are showing and sharing, I think that's how everybody understands it. Like it's not great all the time and it's okay to suffer and it's okay to, um, you know, not have good days. So how do you, how do you use social media to help, I don't want to say portray that, but um, highlight your journey and highlight um, day-to-day life as, as an elite athlete? Yeah, um, and I think that's something that all of us have been really intentional about. Um, like I mentioned earlier, there's this perception that can oftentimes come from elites that it's only good days and it's only sunshine and rainbows and right. you know they they will post after a great race but maybe just be radio silent after right. things don't go well and that's something that we as a team really want to kind of flip the script on um i mean even in like our first youtube video after peyton jordan you know kyle medina and connor winter both ran the steeplechase at peyton and it didn't go great for either of them and instead of you know, not interviewing them or having them interview and be like, you know, like I'll be back next time. You know, like you just get very raw in their face and they're like, you know, this sport is brutal. Like clearly I wasn't ready for this and I need to go back to the drawing board and and see what needs to change. Um, Like myself after Pacific Pursuit, which was the track 10K that didn't go well for me, I I basically was like, you know, I wasn't in the right headspace. Like it's as simple as that. The sport is so mental and, and you have to be prepared to go into that hurt locker whether you're yeah. running you know 12 minute pace for a 5k or four minute pace it doesn't matter like it's gonna hurt the same because as racing goes you push yourself to your limit and that's right. what's so pure about it and that's what i think a lot of us love about it but there are definitely days where you can't expect it to go well and if you're not prepared to go into that sort of pain cave then it's gonna chew you up and spit you out and so i think for all of us it's painting that whole picture makes people 
realize that we are human and that we are going to fail, but then it makes those successes sweeter for us as individuals, but also for the people that are supporting us. It's, it's like it's a shared having, victory. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's something that we think is, is really different. And that's what we can do well is, is have people buy into this idea of runners as people, not just runners as right. kind of these kings and queens living in our ivory towers that come down from our altitude training <laughs> camps and race four times a year and only get world standards because that's not how it goes. I mean, right. ideally that's the way we love it to be, but you know, people get injured, people struggle mentally. There's all these things that, that add up to, to tough days. And you know, those tough days are often where we learn the most about ourselves as, as athletes and as people and to shy away from those things and, and not share what we've learned, I think is doing a disservice to our supporters but the sport as a whole for sure so you've talked a little bit about the mental strength and the and the you know going into that hurt locker um that doesn't come naturally to most um i've been doing a lot of reading around uh, peak performance and and getting in that headspace doing a lot of listening to sports psychologists and things like that um and i've seen i've seen progress personally through sort of not studying, but, uh, investing time into the, into the mental side of things. Um, is that something that you guys are, are intentionally doing? Is it, is it coming naturally? How, how do you work the, the mental side of the sport? Um, yeah. How do you, how do you do that? Yeah. Um, I think it's, there's no right answer for any person like running is there's no recipe for success right. and, and our, our heads are the same way. Um, so if you, if you talk to someone like Sam, who's very intentional about you know, mental practice and mindfulness and meditation and how he can incorporate that into his training for him. He'll tell you it's been a night and day change for him between practicing that intentionality and, and carving out time for himself to, you know, do visualization and, and positive self-talk and things like that have really led to a successful mindset for him. Um, for myself personally, I think it's something that comes a little bit more, I won't say naturally because obviously you know, I have to psych myself up right. and I have things that I focus in on and, and these kind of mantras that I lean into when things get hard in racing. Um, lean into is, is one that I love. Yeah, like exactly. Bring on the pain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Welcome it. Yep. Yeah. And that's something, you know, as a, as a team and as individuals, especially for myself, that's been a huge growth and, and mindset shift is, I think, in my collegiate years, I was very much like proving to myself that I could be a good runner and that I deserved to compete alongside some of these big names. Um, and now I have proven that to myself. And so it's being prepared to do that when I show up on race day. And so again, like knowing that it's going to hurt and, and knowing that if I can find a way to push myself, whether that's like picking a reason to run hard, like if it's for my teammates or if it's for my family or whatever the case may be, if it's for myself, if I want to be selfish on right. that day, you know, it's, it's, if you can prescribe a meaning greater than I want to have a good race today to your result, anytime you face that suffering, you face that pain, you're going to have a reason to push through it that's stronger than I want to have a good day today. And so I think for myself, that's been something that's, that's been really important. And if I can find just one thing that I can hone in on for a race and it can be something little like this past week before Boulder Boulder, my left knee was having some problems and I was, you know, in the pool for my workout on Tuesday. And I was like, man, I don't even know if I should race this thing. Um, 
but I honed in on, on the fact that, you know, this was an opportunity for me to race in front of all of my teammates and all of them were excited to watch me perform. And that was the thing that I dialed into was, you know, this is a home race for me. And I have, you know, teammates, friends, competitors, girlfriends, coworkers who are all going to be out on that course and, and looking to me to have a good day. And I owe it to them to get out there and, and compete my heart out. And that's all you can ask is, looking back on a race, did you work as hard as you could? And some days that means it's a bad day, but mentally you battled and it just wasn't there. And other days it means you battled the whole way and you came away with the shiny new PR or you hit all your goals. So I think it's, it's as important as that as just finding a reason to do what you're doing. Cool. What are you thinking about on the start line? Yeah, I try and be as calm as I can be. I mean, I know as soon as that gun goes, it's pure chaos and, yep. and elbows and all exactly. that. Exactly. Um, so I try and just take five deep inhales and exhales and then shut my eyes and think about whatever my mantra was for that day. So for me in Boulder, Boulder, it was one that my assistant coach at Drake often says, drive it like you stole it. Uh, <laughs> and that's one that I often will use, especially if I know I'm going to be in a scenario where I'm going to be kind of going off of a pack or, surging or, or dictating the pace it's okay drive it like you still like don't shy away from being the one who's aggressive in the race and don't shy away from pushing yourself perhaps harder than you thought you could and, and just know that like you're doing you're choosing to be there and you're doing this to yourself so if that's a conscious decision you've made then do it as best you can and and put the hammer down as hard as you can so for me I, it's just deep breaths take a moment drive it like you still it gun cool and then just thinking through that as the race goes so and then how do you balance that with you know the first mile was like a mid four like a 420 430 <laughs> yeah, like leaders went out in 420 yeah how do you how do you not blow your race in the first you know 30 seconds with something like that mm -hmm. so i think i've always prided myself on being a smarter racer than a gutsy racer yep. um so i think there's a lot of people will race like purely off heart yep. and sometimes that works incredibly well and other times it doesn't. So I think of a guy like Parker Stinson, who is notorious for just running how he feels yep. and sometimes to his own detriment and sometimes to his great success. And yep. we've seen both sides of it recently. Um, and I think Parker is someone who races with a lot of heart and I think I'm someone who races with a lot of brains. Um, are you watching splits? Yeah. I mean, I'm not like, staring at my watch being like, okay, 439, I wanted to run 440 for this mile, right. I better back off a little bit, yeah. you know, but it, it's, I'm conscious of what my body feels like more than what a pace feels like. Um, so for me, for Boulder Boulder, obviously it's altitude, it's hilly, it's turny, it's not a course where you're going to go out and expect to right. run PR, a yeah. PR on, especially at an elite level. So for me, it was, I want to get through miles three and four, feeling like I'm running a very hard tempo and then just Hammer down. Hammer down as hard as I possibly can. Um, and I think that's where a lot of people get into trouble in Boulder Boulders. They get caught up in that first mile or two of yeah. downhill and, and people hammering and all of a sudden they're redlining and you just can't go into oxygen debt up here. Yeah, like you can't see level. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for me, I mean, I think I executed that plan perfectly. I basically got through the hill at mile four and was like, all right, I feel good. Like I'm just going to smash this fifth mile and then see what I have left in six. And I ran like 438, I think, for my fifth mile, which is my fastest split of the race, and then came back in like a 450 uphill for the last mile and felt really good about that and was eating guys up and snuck from 
I think fifth or sixth American at four miles to the third American at the finish. So to progress like that. And I think that's important when you have an opportunity to reach your goals is, is setting a race plan that you know is attainable for yourself. And so again, for guys who maybe race a little more gutsy and thrive off of a fast start, play to your strengths. For me, it's always been something where I know if I can feel good at halfway, I'm going to be able to work harder in the second half than I did in the first. And I'm not someone who can kind of get through halfway under pace and then be like, all right, I'm good. Like, I'm just going to keep hanging. Like I kind of freak myself out right. when I know those splits are faster than I was hoping for. So to be patient and, and stick to your own goals is hugely important. Cool. So, um, for those who aren't familiar, there's a brutal hill at like basically mile six, right before the finish. Um, what, what recommendation or what tips do you have for someone who, who knows that there is something challenging in the race from a physical standpoint and it's, it's going to hurt what, where do you go? What are you, what are you thinking as you're approaching a hill like that? Yeah. So I'm a notoriously bad hill runner. Um, but I caught two guys up that hill. Um, and so I think it is a lot of times mind over matter. Like if you can, yeah, it's a classic psychological trick. It's if you can tell yourself that you love running hills or you love hot, humid days or whatever the instance is that you know is going to hurt you most. If you can turn that thing that you're afraid of and that you know is going to cause you harm into something that you're anticipating and you're excited about. And even if you you're, make it you, till you make it. Yeah, exactly. Even if you know it's a mental trick, it's, it's just reframing something that would typically be a negative experience or something that you're afraid of and, and positing it as something that you're excited about and you're looking forward to. And, and all of a sudden you're halfway up that hill and you're like, Oh, like we're there. We're there. You know, I just like, need to not fall yeah, in this plastic. Exactly. Um, so it's, it is very much a fake until you make it kind of thing. Like, yeah. you know, I'm not a great hill runner and the Olympic trials marathon course looks to be very hilly. Right. So on paper, I should be petrified of that and be like, ah, it's probably not going to be my day. But instead I'm like, you know what? It's going to be hot. It's going to be humid. It's going to be hilly. Like every single person out there is going to hurt, whether they're a strong hill runner or they're a terrible hill runner. So if I can just be more excited about that pain than half of these guys, yep. then I stand a very good chance to be highly competitive. Cool. So, all right, we've got one more uh, serious question before we <laughs> we dive into uh, some some fun ones here. Um, one of the questions that someone wrote in is is they want to know about your diet as a as a pro athlete. Is it something that you focus on? Is it you know you're just eating everything because you're at altitude and you need the carbs? Um, where's where? What's your approach when it comes to to fueling and refueling? Mm -hmm. um, I'm definitely not the most particular about my diet. Um, if you ask, you know, some of the guys around the house, I definitely eat not the greatest, but I think I've definitely made a concerted effort to to change that. Um, so for me, I'm a man of routine and simplicity. Um, so I have the same thing for breakfast virtually every day, just just like a fried egg sandwich, some raspberries, a yogurt, and oftentimes a bowl of cereal. And lunch is, especially when I was working, it was virtually the same every single day because it's easy. And that was turkey sandwich with cheese and spinach some potato chips, some frosted mini wheat and a yogurt. Uh, <laughs> that sounds pretty good. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's not something that I'm overly concerned about. I think I've always been pretty laissez-faire with what I eat. I mean, I know what my body needs and I know what my body craves. And I think as runners, it's easy to be, you know, almost too caught up in that. And certainly I'm not 
advocating that everyone eats five guys burgers and fries every night for dinner as they've had a hard workout in that day just because that's not healthy um but i do think there's room in this sport and in our diets in general as human beings to kind of have space carved out for you know the meals that are going to be healthy and nutritional and help you recover and support the training that you're doing but then i think as in anything like balance is important so you know if i'm craving some ice cream after a hard workout i'm gonna go get some ice cream after a hard workout and i'm not gonna be like ah oh, i shouldn't have done that yeah. that basically just undid my hard workout i think that's a bad headspace to be in so for me it's something that i am conscious about but i'm not overly conscious about cool that segues into our first fun question of what are your top three cereals it's <laughs> a good question um I think Fruit Loops are always going to be one of my go-tos. Good one. They're just delightful, and they remind me of my childhood because that was like my parents were not sugary cereal yep. people. Like my mom especially was like, no, nah, you're not going to eat that garbage. So whenever I would get like a special treat cereal, yep. it would be Fruit Loops. Um, All right, so Fruit Loops number one. Fruit Loops. Um, I really enjoy Special K and like Honey Bunches of Oats. That's yep. kind of my like quote-unquote healthier cereal. Got it. Um, and then I've been crushing Oreo O's lately. Ooh. Yeah, which are, I think they're newish. I'd never seen them when I was a kid, but yeah. they're a real treat. They're basically like chocolate Fruit Loops with a little bit of like cookies and cream that's dust nice. on Does them. it make the milk nice and uh, chocolatey? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's good. Yep. All right, Christine Thorne, who you may know, says, yeah, are, you, <laughs> are you superstitious or just a little stitious? Uh, definitely just a little stitious. So thanks for asking that, Christine. Uh, <laughs> we're big office people. So just a little stitious. She knows me well. I'm not the kind of person who's like big on these like hyper-focused routines yep. that I need to do on race day. Um, yeah, I used to eat like a cheeseburger and fries the night before a race, which I would feel is usually not what people look for. Um, but for me, it was like safe and easy to get. Yep. Um, so that used to be kind of one of the traditions I would have. But now as you know, I'm road racing and traveling around the country, it's a lot of times you're eating it hospitality meals um so it's you know pasta or whatever the case may be and you're you're not quite as picky but i don't have lucky socks or a gold chain that i wear or, or any <laughs> you know special thing that i do so i'm just a little stitious cool all right everyone on tin man has to be one character from marvel oh god all right what do you got i saw this one um <laughs> so jeff has to be hawkeye because they have the same haircut in endgame not a spoiler <laughs> Um, let's see. Sam is probably going to be, I don't know. This is going to be a long, hard question for me to answer. We've got all day. <laughs> all right. I'll skip Sam for now. Drew is going to be Thor, but only Thor in Endgame, which is also maybe a spoiler, maybe not. I'm going to have to put a disclaimer on this one. Uh, <laughs> Do not listen to this Drew podcast. Drew hasn't even seen Endgame yet, so that's okay. We could talk about it. <laughs> I'm um, kidding. Joey's probably like Loki or someone kind of like goofy and, and tricky. Um, Tyler's got to be Hulk just because he's short and stocky and a badass. Um Who's Captain America? Connor Winter is Captain America. Wears leather. Drives a motorcycle. Classic. He's just pure Americana. Um, Kyle is probably... 
Oh, Sam's Tony Stark. I can't believe I didn't think of that. This might be harder than your workout today. It definitely will be harder than my <laughs> workout. Um, Kyle is maybe Ant-Man. He's got like some sneaky, funny jokes, but nice. he's like always around. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That might be all I can think of off the top of my head. Okay, that's uh, that's, <laughs> that's good enough. We have another one here. Uh, who would win in a fight using only socks filled with quarters, Brogan or Reed? <laughs> uh, I guess that one came from Brogan Austin, <laughs> just on a whim. Um, Brogan which comes is, which from... Which is hilarious to like think about if, yeah. you're, if you're just <laughs> slapping someone with a sock with, yeah. filled with quarters. I, I would have to say Brogan. Um, so yeah. good job, Brogan. You asked a, a good question that makes you be the winner. Well done. <laughs> Cause he made his comes way from, onto the puck. <laughs> yeah, he snuck his way on. Uh, no, because he comes from a wrestling background, and he's definitely stronger than me. So I think he would be more tactical, and also his hits would carry a lot more weight behind them. Nice. So there were about a dozen more of these types of questions. So I'm I sure think there it's, were. I think it's just the the perfect example of of the fun that you guys are having, <laughs> and yep. and the audience that that you sort of bring to the table. And I think the sport needs that, and I think the the um, the new, I don't want to say new wave, but I guess the new wave of, of runners coming out of college and things like that. Um, as well as established veterans, like having fun is, is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And, um, and I think that, that if you're serious all the time with training, like when it's not going well, you don't have anything to turn to. Yep. So, what are some of the other things that that Tim Man does to to keep it light and and keep it fun? Do you have you know weekly, whatever nights, things like that? Yeah. Um, so to start, basically the entire team lives together. So we have five of us like in a frat house. Yeah, essentially. Uh, <laughs> no, so Drew owns a house just up in North Boulder here that five of us live in, and then four of the other guys just rented a house that's about a half mile away. So obviously. It definitely has that kind of like college environment yeah. where at any given moment you could show up at Drew's house and there's, you know, two to 10 <laughs> teammates just sitting around talking. Um, and that I think is a big thing for us. I think we're not the kind of people who are afraid to have conversation with each other. And we're not the kind of people who like at any given moment, we'll just like pull out our phone and, and shy away from social interaction. Yeah. We really enjoy each other's company and that makes training and racing and every single day fun with these guys for me. And I think everyone would agree with that. It's something that we, we don't have organized team nights, but probably three nights a yeah. week, just organically three quarters of the team will end up like grilling out at Drew's house or coming over to watch a track race or play Settle Reserve Catan or whatever it's going to be. Like there's just, we all enjoy each other's company and, and really like spending time with each other. So a lot of times it'll be like, we're hanging out and they're like, Oh, well, what do we want to do tonight? Yep. Let's figure it out. So it's been a whole lot of fun. And that trend will continue as we continue to grow as, as a team and grow into each other and add new guys and all of these things. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Cool. Well, it's been fun to follow on social and, and on that note, where can, uh, where can we find you and where can we find Tim man? Yes, I'm, at Reed Fish, R-E-E-D-F-I-S-C-H on Instagram and Twitter. And then we are at Tin Man Elite on all social platforms. And then you can head to our site, which is tinmanelite.com, and our YouTube channel, which is Tin Man Elite. And we've kind of got all the social covered. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Reed, thanks so much for doing this, and uh, enjoy the rest of the day here. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. Of course.
That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next week on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too.